0: My name is Tom, Uh, glad to have you here. I guess I'm uh, the watermelon festival speaker. I guess I did this last year as well, so always happy to come on these special days uh, like this. So I have a question uh, for you. You'll see it up on the screen. The question is, what makes people happy in life? Maybe you've asked that question. Maybe you even asked that question today. It's interesting because that particular question initiated an 85-year study performed by Harvard University. It's been called the world's longest study on human happiness. In 1938, Harvard researchers started to recruit young people, including over 250 uh, sophomores from Harvard University. People like John F. Kennedy and others signed up to be a part of this research. Over 450 Uh, Young people from the inner city of Boston also took part in this particular uh, research. And researchers spent time with those who are a part of this, asking them questions to try to find out what the common denominators were that made these individuals happy in life. So in 1938, they started to roll this out, and it has become a, a book now and the, the research has concluded a single common denominator as to what makes people happy in life. Now before we have the drum roll and I tell you what the answer was, let me tell you what it wasn't. What made people happy in life was not money. It was not a career. It was not long vacations in tropical places. No, the number one thing that made people happy in life in the world's longest research done on happiness was good relationships. Good relationships. Now, for those of us who have been following Jesus, this research should not prove anything that we didn't already know. Because we go back from the very beginning in the book of Genesis where we understand that we have a personal, loving, and wise God who said it is not good for man to be alone. Relationships are an essential part of being a human being and they provide us with happiness and fulfillment as both science and the Bible have proven out. And so good relationships are something that I'd like us to talk about as we close out our series today in the book uh, of First of John. We've been going through the book of First John. We've called it the summer of love. And I hope that this has been a summer where not only your love for people has developed, but your love for God has also grown. Now today, I'm gonna talk to you about good relationships, not in the broad perspective, But I want to bring it down to what 1 John chapter 3 has to tell us today, and that is love within the family of God, within the community of believers called the church. The church is called the body of Christ, and the Lord desires that you and I, as a part of his church, learn more and more each day how we should start loving one another. So... As we go through our time together, we're going to dive into First John chapter 3. And there are three things that I would like us to cover today from these couple of verses. Number one, I want us to see the message. Number two, I want us to see the murderer. Yes, we're going to talk about a murderer. And number three, I want us to talk about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. In in these passages here that we'll be looking at we're going to see that John is providing us with two role models one role model is Trying to show us what it is that we never want to do if we want to have good relationships within the body of Christ The second role model is going to help us to understand what it is that we should be doing in order to enhance the uh, love within our community So let's get started this morning And let's look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 11. It will be up on your screen, but if you have your Bibles, please open those or get that up on your phone. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 11 says, This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. It's interesting that John said, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. At this point in time in history, there was no written Bibles such as we have today. And so they had to utilize kind of the witness of the apostles, and it was more verbally spoken. And so in the early church, there were a lot of beliefs that were coming into the church. And even here, later on in 1 John, John talks about testing the spirits, testing the teaching. And here in verse number 11 of chapter 3, John said, you have heard from the beginning. In other words, this is not a new teaching within the church. It does not have potential controversy around it because it's been something that's been spoken of since the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. In fact, in John chapter 13, we'll bring that scripture up as well, because I think it's one of the greatest statements that was ever made in Jesus setting up uh, his church to be a loving community of people. Jesus himself, from the beginning of his ministry, here's what he said. He said, "I so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you so you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now that's, pretty, that's a pretty solid statement, wouldn't you agree? that That's pretty definitive. That's what Christianity is based on. Christianity is based upon the love of our God. John 3 and verse number 16, we don't have it for the screen, but you're familiar with John 3, 16. For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son that is a foundational teaching within the Bible God's love for us and our love for him and our love for one another and so John is saying this is something that comes from the very beginning even from the words of Jesus himself that we are to have love for one another in this verse In John 13 that we just read, Jesus said that he's giving a new commandment, and by a new commandment, what he means is that it's based upon who he is. It's not based on nationality. His love is not based on status or appearance or even lovability. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment that we are to love one another it's based on the reality of God's love for us now let's look at 1st John chapter 4 and verse number 7 1st John 4 and verse number 7 says dear friends let us continue to love one another for love comes from God anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God You know, love is from God, and it shows that we know God. What I love about the book of 1 John, as I've had an opportunity to study it for many years now, is that throughout the book of 1 John, John is consistently giving his readers certain tests to help them to know whether or not they are truly in the faith. He wants to take away the head-scratching that people might have, in trying to consider whether or not they are truly in a relationship with God. We might often think or we might hear other Christians say, well, I think that I'm okay with God, but I'm not sure. I hear other people say, I think that I'm going to heaven someday, but we'll have to wait and see. John has written this book here of 1 John so that we might know, it's really an entire letter, five chapters of John setting up these various tests to help people to know without a doubt that they are truly in fellowship with God and in relationship with Him. So here in first John chapter three and chapter four, John gives us what's called a love test. This is the test of love. And here's how the question might sound. Am I growing more each day in my love for fellow believers in Christ? Or am I content keeping my distance and playing it safe relationally? Now this this question that's up here on the screen is something that only you and God can answer. This is a question of a test of our love for our church, for our brothers and sisters, for the community of faith. If you look at that question and you say, yes, you know, I, I, have, a, I have a long, long way to go, but my love for God's family is really growing and it's really increasing. If that's your answer, then you can Know for certain that your relationship with God is pretty solid. But if you look at that question, and you say, "Well, you know, I have to be honest. Right now, at this season of my life, the answer has got to be no. You know, outside of my immediate family, um, really, it's not a priority for me to to love a, a church, a church family, and." you know, that honesty is appreciated and honesty is always needed. But if your love for the church family, if your love for the community is not something that you're recognizing as growing within you and something that other people, maybe even those who are closest to you, are noticing that's something changing about you, if, that is, if, if that's not happening within your life, then as a Christian brother, let me just encourage you to spend some time with God just trying to find out what's going on. Maybe you need to open up the Bible and you need to read through this letter of 1 John and the Gospel of John again and again and just reading about God's love for you and trying to discover perhaps what's going on inside. And so John gives us this test of love to help us to to recognize whether or not we for sure are in fellowship with our heavenly Father. Here's what First John four and verse number eight says, "But anyone who does not love, but anyone who does not love does not know God. Why can you say it with me? For God is love. The very nature, the very character and nature of God is a God of love. And the closer we get to God, the more love that we're going to develop within our hearts. And so that's a foundational teaching that God has been trying to provide his people for many, many years. Love for his body, the church, is part of the entire package. If you say, listen, I I love the head. And who is the head of the church? His name is Jesus If we say, I I love the head, but I'm not so sure that I love the body. You have to understand that the church is the body of Christ. God calls us to love. I want you to imagine for just a moment that you're in a a dating relationship. uh, And in this dating relationship, you and this other person, you're getting serious uh, together. It looks like you're going to be taking that next step in that relationship uh, together. But, uh, but you, you say to this person in, in this relationship that you're developing, listen, I just want you to know that I love your head, but I don't love your body. <laughs> what? I, I mean, I, I, I'll take your head, but I'm not so sure that I want to take your body. Listen, if you're in a relationship, never say that, okay? Never say that. Because that is a relationship killer, an absolute killer of any relationship. Because the head and the body are inseparable, aren't they? You choose one, you get the other. It's a full relationship package right there. And it's the same when it comes to a relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the head of his church, the body. That's what Ephesians says. The body is the church. They are inseparable. You love the head, you love the body. You get them both. So John says that this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now let's move to verse number 12 in 1 John chapter 3, and let's look at the murderer. First John 3 and verse number 12 says, we must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So here, uh, John introduces this character by the name of Cain. Uh, There are really... This is one of the only few personal names in First John besides Jesus and God. Cain is the only other personal name that's mentioned throughout First uh, John. But we we know if you study the Bible, you know that there are two important facts about Cain. Uh, first, in Genesis, Cain is the first recorded birth within the Bible. Right, so that's kind of a nice fact, right? Who who was the first birth? Well. Maybe somebody else was born before Cain, but it's the only recorded uh, time of the first birth of somebody in Scripture, and that was little baby Cain. The second fact about Cain is not so nice, and that the second fact about him is that Cain committed the first murder in the Bible. Let's take a look over at Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Verses uh, two through eight Genesis chapter four verses two through eight starting with the second part of verse number two it says When they grew up Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground When it was time for the harvest Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord Abel also brought a gift the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. This is the first recorded homicide in the Bible. And it was a domestic issue. But when I read through that, there are a couple of questions that stir up within me as I look at Genesis chapter 4. The first question, and maybe you had this question, too, as you've read this. What makes Abel's gift acceptable to God and Cain's gift unacceptable? The other question that I have from Genesis chapter 4 is, after God calls out Cain on his anger, why doesn't he have an attitude adjustment? I mean, if, if God is your boss and he's giving you feedback about your attitude, then you make a change rather quickly, don't you? If God is giving you that level of feedback. But where we really get perspective on this story in Genesis chapter four is the verse that we just read in 1 John chapter three and verse number 12, because it says there, it says that Cain belonged to the evil one. Cain had been doing what was evil. So, so there's a backstory uh, that the Bible doesn't provide to us here, because it really wasn't the purpose of Genesis to talk any further about the story of Cain and Abel, but John brings to light that there was something much more going on that nobody could see. You see, the root problem with Cain wasn't about his offering and how it appeared. It it doesn't say that his tomatoes and his lettuce and his carrots and his potatoes were rotten and wilted and bruised while Abel's mutton chops, you guys getting hungry? You know, Abel's mutton chops were just perfectly butchered and ready to be presented. All of that may have been the case, but the Bible doesn't tell us those facts. The deeper issue here in Genesis chapter 4 with the very first homicide recorded was the condition of Cain's heart. It's not so much that Cain's tomatoes were rotten. It was more that Cain's heart was rotten. I love this quote by Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers said that the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. The heart of the problem is the, heart of the, is the heart, is the problem of the heart, of the human heart. You see, Cain, Cain's heart was full of resentment. It was full of anger. It was full of jealousy. It was full of rivalry. As John said, he belonged to the evil one. And Cain is the role model of what we never want to do in our relationships with one another. Jealousy and hatefulness and competitiveness and negativity never has a place in the community of God. The Bible is very clear, and it gives us Cain to hold up front and center and to say, here's Cain, church, never be like him. And it's interesting, wherever Cain's name is mentioned in the New Testament, it's always held up as someone that you never want to be like. And so I think that's why John provides us with him as as a character in discussing love within the community. Jesus spoke a lot about the condition of the human heart. In Matthew chapter 5 you might recognize this as being the Sermon on the Mount Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, uh, Quotes the sixth uh, commandment in verse number 21 Here's what Jesus said He said you have heard that our ancestors were told here's the the sixth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 You must not murder If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Now, now here in verse 22, here's here's the interpretation that Jesus gives. Jesus said, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now, that's Jesus talking there and he's talking about the condition of the human heart. He's saying murder isn't only a physical act like Cain cowardly attacking Abel out in the field. No, murder starts as an inside job. It's an inside job. The, the ego is bruised. Pride and anger start to creep in. If that goes unchecked, really anything is possible. Maybe you've heard people, or maybe you yourself have said about some dysfunction in a relationship or something that exploded in a very negative way, and you say, well, I never saw that coming. We had no indication what was going on, that that was even going on. It's because it was happening within the heart of those people, of that person, over time. And that's what John is telling us about what happened to Cain. There's an old Capital One ad. Do you remember what that old Capital One ad? What's in your your wallet? The Word of God asks us, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? What's in my heart? The wonderful thing about the church is that we are all kind of fellow strugglers, aren't we? Even those who have the the, the privilege of being able to speak or to perform up here, those who are working behind the scenes, we are the body of Christ, every one of us, and we're all fellow strugglers. And so we need to help encourage one another to, to really beware of the condition of our hearts, that they are not becoming like Cain's. It can start small, but it can grow into something much, much larger. Well, let's look at a, a little better role model, and that is our Messiah, Jesus. Let's, let's get away from the murderer, and now let's come to the Messiah. Much better topic, right? Because John holds up Jesus as another role model, as a role model of someone who we should be like if we're trying to deepen and grow in our relationships with one another. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 16. Here's what that says. 1 John 3, three sixteen 16 says, uh, here we go. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wow, that's pretty heavy duty, don't you think? But what I love about this verse are those two words. Did you pick up on those two awesome words? We know what real love is. Isn't, isn't real love something that every human being longs to understand and longs to experience deep within their lives, deep within their relationships, to understand what real love is. But what is real love? How would we define that? We we, we have already talked about the message that's been from the beginning, that we should love one another. We've talked about... Uh, an example, the example of Cain, somebody that we should never be like. Here we're coming to Jesus and we're understanding what real love is. According to, to 1 John 3 and verse number 16, real love is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. It's giving up my obsession with me so I can provide what is best for you. It's not only doing that within our immediate families, but it's doing it to our spiritual families, to our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. I'm not to be on the throne. I'm not looking to be served by other people, but rather in the spirit of Jesus Christ who came and sacrificed his life, real love is giving up so that others can benefit from us and what it is that God is calling us to do. I recently heard a story that just really really touched me about this topic and understanding sacrificial love and it it comes from a it comes from a C.S. Lewis book called The Four Loves. Recommend you read that if you're into reading and you want another perspective on love, read C.S. Lewis's book called The Four Loves, but here here's how the story goes. Imagine you You fell terribly ill not long after your wedding day. You and your spouse were faced with an awful new reality that your health would never fully return and that you would need care for the rest of your life, and that might even be decades to come. You are both absolutely devastated by this news But your spouse takes it all in stride, caring for you without complaint. This act of selfless love affects you deeply, and you can't understand why your spouse would choose to embrace this new life for your sake. You just can't believe that they would love you that much. Now, I don't know why that so moved me, because I know that my precious wife would be willing to do that for me. But I think we all understand deep to the core of our being that we all have unlovable qualities. We all have these problems that we would love to think that other people would love us in spite of those problems, in spite of those uh, uh, those unlovable qualities. But the real love that the Bible talks to us about in the example of Jesus goes even deeper than just Overlooking unlovely qualities or problems that exist within somebody's life The best way for me to to define real love is really found in Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 9 The Apostle Paul says when we were utterly helpless Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. That, my friends, is what's known as the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we grasp how deeply and how sacrificially God loves each one of us, even as unlovable sinners, even on our worst day, even when we're going through the worst possible month of our lives, when we're at our worst... God still loves us. When we grasp a hold of that reality, that Jesus Christ came and sacrificially gave up his life on a cross, even while we were yet sinners, that makes the possibility of loving one another so much stronger. Wouldn't you agree? If God can love me that much in all of my my sinfulness then certainly I can love my brothers and sisters with an unconditional and sacrificial love. Even if I don't always like them, I know that in Jesus' name that I can love them and love them with a real love that comes from God. So let me give you just a couple of action steps to take away from uh, today's, today's message, and then we'll wrap up our time together. Number one, if you are feeling any type of negativity, any type of misunderstanding, or any type of offense with anybody within the church, then I want you to do this. I want you to pray specifically for that person by name. And here's what I I want to encourage you to pray for. I want you to pray that God would bless them beyond anything that they have ever experienced before. Is that a tall order? Might be. But that's what Jesus says to do when he says, and pray for your enemies. There's really no way out of this, guys, because at every level of relationship, Jesus seems to have an answer, and he says that we need to pray even for our enemies, even for those that we dislike, You see, when we get occupied with praying blessings over one another, we won't have time to be occupied with how much we dislike someone. So can I encourage you, if there's just somebody that you don't have a good chemistry with, there's somebody maybe who does things or says things that are somewhat offensive to you, can we just agree together? as brothers and sisters, that we're going to pray blessings over that person, we're going to pray blessings over their family, and that we're going to ask God to shower them with his favor. All right, Uh, step number two. Step two as far as an action plan to carry out love within God's church, God's community of believers. Number two, let's make it our mission to help others feel noticed and important. In July, a group of uh, Area 10 ladies got together. It was just a small group of ladies. But they got together in order to have a, uh, a shower uh, for the Ponte family who are going on baby number three. God bless them. We love them down in the children's area. And so they had this, uh, this shower. And I guess it was a wonderful time. Allie Burkle, my daughter, opened up her home, small group of ladies all met together. And uh, about a week later, uh, my wife Stephanie received this card that I got permission to read, okay? But it really fits what I want to encourage us to take action on. Here's what Anna wrote to Stephanie. Dear Stephanie, thank you so much for all you did to make last Saturday so special. It was such a blessing to me to have our party Your crescent roll dish, which by the way is really good, your crescent roll dish was so wonderful and the goodies box for Catherine was so cute and had so many needed things. Now, listen to this. I have been so encouraged by you ever since we started coming to A10. Honestly, I feel like a daughter every time I get to hug you and talk with you. You really do make me feel seen and loved. I am so grateful for you. Did you catch that? Seen and loved. That's what we all want. That's what we all desire. Maybe you're not a hugger. Maybe you don't like that close affection. That's okay. We still need to help make one another feel seen and loved. Everywhere Jesus went... He made people felt feel seen and loved. And that's what the Lord desires us to do right here. Maybe you've not connected with people here yet. Maybe you're new. Maybe you've just been coming out for a few weeks. At the end of August, there's going to be a sign-up for you to get into a small group. And so small groups will start opening up all over the city and and around uh, in in the counties as well. Almost every day of the week, there'll be a small group. I want to ask you, and and I'm going to take this mission on myself, let's get into our small groups and let's help each other feel seen and loved. And I don't know what that means for you. It might just be one person. It might just be two or three people. But let's make that our mission as a church, to take that upon ourselves, to take the first step and to initiate good and strong and Christ-like relationships with one another. So I want to pray, pray for us right now. And I want to pray over our church as we close out this uh, series on the summer of love. That maybe something that's been said throughout this series, something that Chris said or something that uh, Rachel said or Topher said, that it takes root within our lives. That it's not just a summer of love, but it becomes a fall of love and then a winter of love. And that really this just takes on a whole new vibrancy in life within our church. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I just want to lift up, this church to you. I thank you for Area 10 and for its 15 years of life of being here in the city for the city. And Lord, I just want to pray that as we go into this new season, as the summer closely uh, uh, quickly closes out, Lord, I just want to pray that as we look towards the fall, that this would be a season of increased love that happens within our church that our spiritual family would actually be as close, if not closer, than our own blood family. That we would really learn from you, that we would take on Jesus as our role model of someone who sacrificed and someone who helped people to feel seen and loved. Father, I want to pray for those who are here who <clears throat> may have certain feelings of of negativity maybe father they have experienced something that uh, has really disturbed them in their spirits i just want to pray for your help i want to pray for your holy spirit to come upon them and help them father i just want to pray god that you would just help give us the strength and that your love would come within our hearts and within our lives And that not only would we love the head, Jesus, but that we would love the body, his church. And that we would press in and make this a priority each and every week to be more loving in how we think and more loving in what we do. We just thank you for it's in his name that I pray. Amen.